Hi, this is Scott Silkey. I'm the worship arts director here at New Life Church. We're excited that you are joining us today. I pray that today's message will encourage and inspire you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around you. Well, I just want to say thank you to you for being here. I want to say thank you for Michael for, for picking up the torch last week and, and preaching. Phenomenal job. Uh, I'm just really excited to have such a competent and Holy Spirit-filled leadership team all across the board. So um, today we're going we're gonna to continue this series, Living History. And living history is a real thing. Why is living history a real thing? Because w- as soon as you live it, it's history. That thing I just said, that was history. The dedication we just did, history. She's allowed. She had a rough morning. She had to smell my cologne. Um, but we are a part of history. Every, time, every breath you take, that's history. So we want to be people who understand that what we do in this life matters. Not just now, but into the future. The way we live, the way we uh, conduct ourselves, the things that we believe, they matter. So today the message is entitled, Simply turn. Turn. The big idea of this message is this. The book of Chronicles highlights the religious reforms conducted by some of the kings of Judah, returning God's people from pagan worship to proper worship of God. S-B-N-R. S-B-N-R represents this, I'm spiritual but not religious. Spiritual but not religious. This phrase has become so popular that the Barna Research Group has given it the group a label of SBNRs. There's so many people who, who label themselves, who characterize themselves as spiritual but not religious. Why? What's wrong with being religious? Many times you can find people who are frustrated with, the, with some form of organized religion groups and want to have a vague form of spirituality. Sometimes the reasons for uh, wanting to leave religious institutions are because of abuse, because of corruption, and a Hypocrisy that plagues all religious organizations. Religious religious hypocrisy and the need for reform might seem like a modern issue, but even in the Old Testament, God had to bring about religious reform in his children in Israel. Second Chronicles highlights Judah's kings who brought about religious and social reforms after the spirit of the kingdom between Israel, excuse me, after the split of the kingdom between Israel and Judah following Solomon's death. The writers use a familiar theme of highlighting each king and what he did. However, he particularly, the writer of the chronicler particularly, um, stresses the uh, righteous things that they did to bring Israel back. 
Now, what is with this whole thing? What is with this incessant need to, to, to bring reform? Why is it so prevalent in the Old Testament, in the New Testament? Why is it so prevalent in our own day and age? What is the deal? Why can't we just stay? Well, there's this real little thing that we have been introduced to in the Scriptures. It's a little word, but a big thing. It's called pride. Do you realize that pride is the root of every sin? Pride is at the root of everything that we do that is wrong. Every, t- every time we don't treat somebody well, every time we put ourselves before other people, every time we speak in a way that is not caring and loving, every single time we do something that we know we shouldn't do, even if we don't know why we shouldn't do it, it has its roots in pride. So religious systems, I'm just going to tell you right now, they have the, the, the distinct handicap. Religious systems have the distinct handicap of being full of people. Without the people, there's no nothing, right? But we're people and we're full of pride. Therefore, things have the tendency to break down. And I'm here to tell you today this. I'm here to tell you this. That, it's not good, but it's okay. Let me explain that for a little. It's not good, but it's okay because that's what happens. What's not okay is that when we're presented with the standard of truth, we continue in our prideful actions. Okay? So, Today, we're going to look at a verse that outlines Josiah's rise and reformation. Josiah was a king of Judah who brought religious reform to the kingdom, a movement away from pagan worship instituted by his wicked father, Ammon. Josiah became king at the age of only eight. Kendall, how old are you again? 11. Is anybody younger than 11 in here? How many people can't remember what 11 looks like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 11. They're all over there. See, all, the kid, now, just think about that. The kids that are playing across the hall are the age of the king of Judah at this point. That's a little scary. But as you're going to see, Josiah... Josiah ended up being wiser than his teachers. See, by his teens, he had already begun to seek God and to destroy idol worship in Israel. Open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. We're going to start with verse 1, go through 7. And it looks like this. Josiah was 8 years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in the ways of his ancestor David. And he did not turn aside to the right 
or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, Josiah began to seek the Lord of his ancestor David. And in the twelfth year, he began to cleanse Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. Michael talked about the high places last week. I think a phenomenal job about telling us what modern high places might look like. And man, do they need to be cleansed. The high places and Asherah poles and carved images and the cast images. Then his presence, uh, then in his presence, the altars of Baal were torn down. He chopped down the shrines that were above them. He shattered the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the cast images, crushed them to dust, and scattered them over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on the altars. So he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. He did the same things in the city of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon. And as far as Nephertali, and on the surrounding mountains, shrines, he tore down the altars and smashed the Asherah poles and carved images to powder. He chopped down all the shrines throughout the land of Israel and returned to Jerusalem. Now, there's a couple things I want to just highlight here for a second. We're not talking about, like, a small thing. It's not like like there was one pagan shrine over there that some people were going to. This pagan worship had worked its way into the Jewish culture so deeply that everywhere there was a high place, there there was a shrine there. There was an Asherah pole. There was a, 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 an altar to Baal and carved images around. They, they actually would put cemeteries around the shrines of the, of the priests, and that's what it means. Uh, they, they dug up the priests' bones, and they burned them on the altar to desecrate the altar so that they couldn't be used. And then they tore them down and... This is a, I'm telling you this is extreme. And what it says to this is that Josiah said, no way, not on my watch. I am not going to let this pagan worship pollute my culture. I'm not going to do this. I don't care what my dad did. I don't care what my grandfather did. What I have seen and heard about what God wants I am going to do. So they may have done this, but I am going to turn and I'm going to do what God... Now, interestingly enough, Josiah had a mentor, a priest who mentored him from an early age. That's why I'm so appreciative of, of people like John and Pastor Ariel who spend their time mentoring these young people Getting, getting the word of God, getting, getting the principles of God's word into their hearts and their minds so early that they have an ability to decipher between what is wicked and what is good. Before it wrecks them and they have to... How many people wish that they had a, a, a time that they came to Christ before they made their mistakes? Many of you are 
hiding stuff. But tell me about it. I mean, there's nothing better to me than children over in the children's space in our annex room learning about God and playing. Realizing that church is a good place to be. We can actually have a good time at church and learn the principles of God on top of it. I hope you feel that way. hope coming to church is not a chore for you. If it is, suck it up. No. <laughs> That's a you problem. <laughs> We're trying, man. Uh, but Josiah, at a young age, he took the mentorship of his, his mentor and he turned the country away from the things that were destroying it. Skip down to verse 14. It says this. And this is what I, this, this, this part is kind of, gets me going. Because I don't know that we have this same, we get so familiar, ah, we'll just we'll read it. Verse 14. When they brought out the silver that had been dis- deposited in the Lord's temple. Now just for context, Josiah is, is rip repairing the Lord's temple. It got so bad that all of these other shrines and uh, pagan worship places were getting built up and beautiful, and the temple of God had fallen into disrepair. So Josiah did a uh, financial campaign in order to restore the temple. So as they were bringing out the silver that had been deposited in the Lord's temple, the priest Halakiah found a book of the law of the law written by the hand of Moses. That's an artifact, huh? There should be an Indiana Jones movie about that. Consequently, Helikiah told the consort secretary, Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave it to him. Shaphan took the book uh, to the king and also reported, your servant are doing all that was placed in their hands, which means rebuilding the, you know, restoring the temple. They have emptied out the silver that was found in the Lord's temple and have given it to the overseers and to those doing the work. Then the court secretary, Shaphan, told the king, the priest Helikiah gave me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. So just picture this. He's like, we were doing all this stuff. We were, we were like, going through the temple and getting all the stuff out to restore it and to and they found this book it's just been i mean it sounds like an indiana jones movie it's like you know i, I picture on a little pedestal like ooh now it's probably just in a closet somewhere they found this book and he's like this is like the book this is the law that moses wrote with his, wrote with his own hand and he gave it to the king's guy, and he just, he just starts reading it. The book of the law. He just starts reading it. Let's keep going. So it says this, the court secretary started to read from the book in the presence of the king. Now listen to this, verse 19. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded Helikiah, Hakam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, and the court secretary, Shephron, and the king's servant, 
Asiah, go inquire of the Lord for me and for those remaining in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that was found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is poured out on us because our ancestors have not kept the word of the Lord in order to do everything written in this book. So what does this mean? It means this. Their culture had gotten so far away from the ways of God, the law of God, that even though Josiah was doing all these things to restore the temple, to tear down pagan worship, they were still practicing a bunch of different things that had become so integrated into their culture that when he heard the word of the law, he's like, oh man, we're in trouble. He realized that there were so many things about what they were doing, things that they took for granted, things that they just did on a regular basis that were contrary to God's ways. Now, I, it doesn't go into what all those were, but I do know many of the practices of pagan worship obviously would go against the worship of God, but even in their practices, there was a lot of uh, sensuality, immorality, human sacrifice. The sanctity of life was diminished. There were things like, if you look at the, in, in some of the books of different practices of, of these gods, there was the practice of self-mutilation, cutting themselves, debasing the body. It's gross. A lot of it's really gross. They would, they would literally throw their children on a burning altar. They're babies. Everybody went, oh. Do we need to quote to you the abortion statistics of our country right now? It's become so part of our culture that we can look back at them and go, oh, gross. And we don't even see. We don't even see what's happening in our own culture. And that's how Josiah, he just it, this tearing of the robes was a, a sign in that culture of just complete mourning. What they would do, they would tear their robes and that they would go and dress themselves in sackcloth and, and they would pour ashes on their head. That's how they mourned. So Josiah, as a young man, is seeing just how far their culture has wandered. And it didn't happen overnight, folks. I mean, he's a young man generations down the line of this pagan worship and he doesn't even know with all the things that he's doing to purge the nation, he's still condoning and living in a way that is not in accordance with God's law. And when he reads it, he's like, man, we got a long road ahead of us. We've just scratched the surface of what it looks like to turn. I want us repeat this passage, ready? Verse 19. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Remember I said, it's okay. It's not good, but it's okay. We don't know what we don't know. That's what I mean by it's okay. You don't know what you don't know until you know. It's at that point that you have a decision to make. 
Because you don't know what you don't know until you know. But once you do know, you have a choice. So, yeah, it's not good that our culture, a culture, can be so ingrained with things that are against the will of God. But until we know, but once you come face-to-face with the Word, and it shows you that the things that you believed before are not in line with His desires, then you have a choice. You can either go on, or you can turn. You can rend those clothes, those old ways of doing things. Throw out the old, tattered, soiled clothes, put on some new ones. At the age of 26, King Josiah, now becoming more fully aware of God's requirement for his people, began to complete reform of Judah to conform to the law of God. The church, now we're jumping ahead a few thousand years here, ready? The church has had a checkered track record of religious reforms. One of the most famous times of reform was a Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. I'm going to read something from a historian, Timothy Paul Jones. And he describes the context of the reform. He says this, Few, if any 16th century Roman Catholics, desired divisions. None of them desired divisions. Martin Luther, the, the reformer, right? He didn't want to leave the Catholic Church. He was very happy being Catholic. He wanted to help reform the church away from some bad practices. Yet reform was inevitable. Many people believed they could earn salvation through good works and indulgences. In many contexts, tradition has displaced Scripture as the church's supreme authority. The church's leadership was corrupt. Traditions of men had outpaced the revelation of Scripture. It was in this world that Martin Luther discovered the famous verse in Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by faith. That one verse plagued his soul. (laughs) It just, it just, it, it wouldn't let him go. I've been dealing with something that similarly lately with this concept of enjoying God, glorifying God, meaning enjoying him. I, I can't get that out of my head. It's just, it's plaguing me. And every time, it's just, it's just, it's the, but he got captured by this verse, the righteous shall live by faith. And it started a big move. Martin Luther began to realize that his salvation came through his faith in Christ and not through his good works and the indulgences, which were basically get out of jail free cards uh, that the church sold. Okay. Jesus dealt with the same spirit of tradition over God's word in his time as well. See, do you see this? Old Testament. Jesus dealt with it in the New Testament. The church was dealing with it during the Reformation. But in Mark 7, when Jesus was dealing with it, it says this. Jesus answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, these peoples honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrine human commands. Abandoning the commands of God, you hold to human tradition. 
he also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's commands in order to set up your own tradition. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do more other similar things. Do you see the, you see the comparison between Josiah's time and Jesus' time? Their culture had been so uh, built up under these traditions of man that they had a hard time deciphering between what God said and what, and, 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 uh, what tradition said. And Jesus came on the scene and people's eyes started waking, uh, waking up. They started waking up to the truth. Why? Because Jesus is the same thing that Josiah found in the temple. John says, Jesus was the Word made flesh. When people are confronted with the Word of God, whether it be in text form, or whether it be the person of Jesus, or whether it be an experience with the Holy Spirit, their eyes are opened. They cannot, yes, maybe they didn't know what they didn't know, but now the Holy Spirit is revealing the Word of God to them, and they have to make a choice. Continue. Or turn. If we're not careful, we as a church and as individuals are in danger of doing the same things that the culture Josiah lived in and the culture Jesus lived in and the culture of the Reformation. Why are we labeled to do the same things? Because we're humans and there's this thing called pride. It's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. It's the same issues. I love how people think that, like, people from other cultures, because they didn't have iPhones, were somehow stupid. Like, these people from, like, way back in the, in the history, I'm a history buff. I don't have any history buffs in here. I love me some history. And what I find in history is that many times those people in history were actually more intelligent than we are today. Why? Because they didn't outsource their knowledge to a device. <laughs> they actually had to be able to find how to get somewhere. The other day, we, <laughs> but me and my family were going to a place that I had never been before. And it struck me funny because I didn't even think about it before I left the house. I didn't even think about it. Just put the phone on the dash, plugged in the address of where I was going, and let my digital overlords tell me where to go, or which, you know, I, at one point they said, ooh, there is a, uh, what is it called, a, not detour, it's even worse than that, a speed trap ahead. Well, thank you very much, digital overlord. Pump the brakes. And then I remembered going to, on a missions trip, to uh, New Orleans after, after Katrina. I took my youth group down, and we gutted houses. And for some reason, they let half of our youth group build a house. I just feel really sorry. I think they'd be better with the hurricane-ruined house than the house that was built by my youth group. I mean, I could picture them with a nail gun going, like, what is this to? You know, we built a house, or part of a house. But this was in the days of, like, MapQuest. Anybody remember MapQuest? 
My wife and I watched the other night for a date night. Guys, you can slap me later. The movie, You've Got Mail. And it was just hilarious to see, hear the AOL, like, internet sounds come across. I'm like, ah, that was my time. But I remember going to New Orleans on this trip, and I didn't know where I was going. The MapQuest things were confusing because I, didn't ha- I had teens in the, in the shotgun seat trying to tell me where, ah, and I got lost every single time to the job site until I decided to use my amazing wife, who you saw this morning, as my digital overlord. She was my digital overlord. She's been the overlord of everything other than that. But now she's been, I'd get on the phone. I'd say, Lisa, I need to get here to here. And she would literally be on the phone with me until I got there. Go left here. Where are you now? I'm at this street. Okay, go, you go a little farther. And it was, but now we don't even worry about that. Remember the atlases you used to put in the, the pocket behind your seat? You, you know what I'm talking about? The at, you guys know what I'm talking about. The, the atlases, <laughs> and, that we sit, and you'd open it up and be like, that's a large map. I want to get to this little dot here. I don't even know where I'm going with this. Oh, people cultures. Yes, they could get somewhere without, yeah. Wow, that really went way off the rails. Okay. But these people... They were not dumber than us. There was nothing new under the sun. They dealt with the same stuff. They just didn't have the technology we have today, but they dealt with the same stuff that you and I deal with. Pride. We're not smarter than them. We have the same tendencies in our own culture. And if we're not careful, we as a church or as individuals are in danger of doing the same things in our lives. Substituting human philosophy and traditions for the commands of God. That's why the word of God is so important. Some of you may be like, why does the pastor constantly talk about reading the Bible? Read the Bible. I don't like to read the Bible. It's boring. Get a different version. Change it up. Do it in a chronological fashion. Do something, but get this word into your life. When our lives begin to veer off, to follow other ideas, we must be quick to realign our lives with what the Bible says. In another way, we might say it, we must, be, we must be quick to tear our robes. Because the more we don't tear our robes, the farther down the path we get of ignorance. We must be like King Josiah and respond dramatically to the word of God. But letting the revelation of God's standards and ways rend our hearts rather than our clothes. We've got to come back into alignment with him. At this point in history, it's inter- this is a very interesting thought. At this point in church history, it has been the Catholic church that has been holding the line on many social issues of our day and calling the Protestant church to reform and bring itself back in line with the principles of Scripture. Such as the sanctity of life stance against abortion, against assisted suicide. The Catholic Church has held a good, strong, and I hope they continue to do that. I hope they challenge us as Protestants to say, like, 
man, we are not, we're not looking at this thing properly. We need to rend our hearts, if not our own clothes. As well as a firm support of marriage and family as a sacred institution designed by God. Not by us. We didn't design it. They have doggedly affirmed the marriage should be between a man and a woman. While many Protestant denominations have abandoned the biblical view of the family. So I want to end this message with this. I'm going to read to you some of God's word. And I want you to let it remind you what it looks like to turn. As I read this, I want you to personalize. What are some of the things in your life that maybe you just drifted along with the culture? Remember I said it's okay. It's not good, but it's okay. But God is revealing to you by his Holy Spirit, by the word of God today, and saying, you know what? That's not good. It's not good. You need to turn. Every generation has had to do that. Every person from time to time as their life progresses has to evaluate where they're at and and see if it lines. Listen, pastors aren't exempt from this. Thank the Lord. One of the problems with our current religious state is that too many pastors, priests, religious leaders have not turned when the word has told them to turn. they've, They've gone down a road and they've embarrassed the church. They've embarrassed their people and they've embarrassed God. So what do I say about that as a pastor? But for the grace of God, there go I. I want to be a person who looks at the word of God and aligns my life with its teachings, even if I'm off base, to turn and get on track. So here's some verses. Acts 3, 19 through 20 says this. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. That seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. One more time. Therefore, repent. Turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Revelations 2.5 says this, Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise I will come to you And remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Which in definition means turn. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you've done at first. Otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent.
Remember how far you've fallen. Repent and do what works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I'm going to read these twice. Ready? Revelations 3, 2 through 3. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before, before God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you're not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. Be alert and strengthen your, what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief. And you have no idea what hour I will come upon you. And lastly, James chapter 4, verse 7. I love this verse. This is a verse that really talks about how it's not good, but it's okay. Because now we have a choice. It says this, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep, like rend your clothes. That's what that's referring to. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I just want to make a quick commentary on this. That part where it says, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. That's, that's not the state he wants you to live in. That's the state we should have when our lives confront the word of God. Just like, just like Josiah. Just like Josiah. I want to read it again. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Remember pride? We talked about pride. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. May we be people of the word. May we know the truth and let the truth set us free from the false traditions of man. May we allow the Holy Spirit to speak through the word of God to convict and to drive us to repentance. May we turn from our pride and submit to God's will Bow your heads with me. Lord, you know our hearts. You know who we are. You know where we've been. There's no surprise to you. There's no point in putting up airs or trying to be false before you. 
God, there's ways in our lives where we have not aligned ourselves with your teachings. Where we become complacent and allow the culture to dictate what we do and say and think. Rather than humbling ourselves before God and letting you be the one who guides and directs. Lord, I think that you're speaking to people right now. You're illuminating things in their lives that it was okay before. It wasn't good, but it was okay because they didn't know, but now they know. And you're illuminating the things in their lives that are just not good. So, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would allow them to make a turn, to do a 180 to confront the word of God which is Jesus, which is his Holy Spirit which is the written word and respond like Josiah did Lord it's so easy for us to go astray pride is a continual temptation but God I pray that when we see that we're in error, we would submit to God, humble ourselves before Him, and that you would exalt us in the proper time. Lord, help us to be more and more and more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.